Hello, I'm Joel Hilliker, and my friend and colleague Jeremiah Jacques has given me the opportunity to guest host his program and to share with you an extraordinary story. Life in colonial-era America was rough. In that wilderness, people pretty well had to carve out their living from the land. Now, it was a blessed land, and through hard work, they enjoyed increasing prosperity, and over several generations, they came to have possibly the highest standard of living in the world. But Britain wanted to retain absolute authority over them. They wanted to rule them and to tax them as they pleased without the Americans even having a say. The Americans repeatedly appealed for redress and relief, but they were repeatedly denied. Over time, more and more Americans came to believe they needed independence from Britain. The more the British tried to crack down on this movement, the stronger it grew. Now, the trouble was, Britain had the most powerful military in the world. It was well-funded, it was organized, it was disciplined, it was experienced. The colonial army was mostly made up of volunteers. They had little funding, they had little to no experience, most of them had to supply their own weapons, many of them had no tents, some of them had no shoes, Everyone was dressed differently because the men mostly had to provide their own uniforms. One man said that they were the most wretchedly clothed and as dirty a set of mortals as ever disgraced the name of a soldier. They were unaccustomed to soldiering. They were undisciplined. Now, they were used to hard work. They were familiar with adversity. They could make do in a harsh climate but they weren't used to taking orders. Often, soldiers would just walk away. For example, if they had to take care of business back home, deserters were common. At first, it wasn't even clear how many soldiers there were. They didn't even quite know what to call themselves. Some called it the Army of the United Colonies. Others called it the Troops of the United Provinces of North America. The British called them the country people, a preposterous parade, rabble in arms. The Continental Congress put George Washington in charge, and his task was to turn this motley group into a military that could stand up to the mighty British Empire. Now, aside from the challenge of introducing discipline and order, he also had to contend with the fact that many Americans were still loyal to the British crown. They would even inform the British of America's troop movements. There were also problems of sickness. At times there were thousands of soldiers sick because of the harsh conditions, not enough food, poor sanitation, and the spread of diseases like dysentery, typhus, typhoid fever, smallpox. And on top of that, every so often the soldiers' terms of service ended and George Washington had to convince them to stick around. And many of them wouldn't and didn't. So there were times when all at once, many thousands of soldiers simply left. The leaders in Philadelphia were trying to form a government. But the reality is, whatever they did wouldn't mean much unless the Americans could stand up to the force of the British. 
In many ways, the whole cause of American independence hinged on a few thousand soldiers. In the late autumn of 1775, a newspaper article appeared in the New England Chronicle. It was trying to encourage soldiers to remain even after their enlistments expired. It was signed simply, A Freeman. The article said this, Although your private concerns may call for your assistance at home, yet the voice of your country is still louder. Never was a cause more important or glorious than that which you are engaged in. Not only your wives, your children, or distant posterity, but humanity at large, the world of mankind, are interested in it. For if tyranny should prevail in this great country, we may expect liberty will expire throughout the world. Therefore, more human glory and happiness may depend upon your exertions than ever yet depended on any of the sons of men. He that is a soldier in defense of such a cause needs no title. His post is a post of honor, and although not an emperor, yet he shall wear a crown of glory, and blessed will be his memory. The struggle to give birth to this new nation came to be known as the Glorious Cause. Those who took up this cause had to devote themselves to it in face of overwhelming odds. There was no guarantee it would succeed, and even less that any one of them would survive to see it if it did. They had to have vision. They had to have faith. They had to believe in the cause. The American Revolution was a cause that demanded every last individual who would devote his whole heart to it. That included old and young. One colonel wrote to a delegate of Congress, I fear General Washington has too heavy a task, assisted mostly by beardless boys. One of the most impressive officers George Washington had in his army was a man named Nathaniel Green. He was the youngest general officer in the American army. He was only 33 years old. David McCullough wrote this in his book 1776. His commitment to the glorious cause of America, as it was called, was total. And if his youth was obvious, the glorious cause was to a large degree a young man's cause. The commander-in-chief of the army, George Washington, was himself only 43. John Hancock, the president of the Continental Congress, was 39. John Adams, 40. Thomas Jefferson, 32. In such times, many were being cast in roles seemingly beyond their experience or capacities. We are familiar with a lot of the names of the founders and the leaders of the revolution, but we tend to think of them in distant, heroic terms. The truth is, they were flesh and blood. They were human beings who had to battle their fears. They had to be tough on themselves. They had to summon courage. They had to force themselves to do things that they wanted to run from. McCullough writes, It was the first American army and an army of everyone, 
men of every shape and size and makeup, different colors, different nationalities, different ways of talking, and all degrees of physical condition. Many were missing teeth or fingers, pitted by smallpox, or scarred by past wars, or the all-too-common hazards of life and toil in the 18th century. Some were not even men, but smooth-faced boys of 15 or less. One of the oldest enlistees was a popular man, 57 years old, General Israel Putnam. He was affectionately known as Old Putt. He had survived hair-raising exploits fighting with French and Indians, McCullough wrote. Shipwreck, even a face-to-face encounter with a she-wolf in her den, if the stories were to be believed. Old Putt also spoke with a slight lisp and could barely write his name. But, as said, Old Putt feared nothing. So you had men like this fighting right alongside the younger soldiers, Men who believed in the cause. McCullough continues, At the other extreme was little Israel Trask, who was all of ten. Israel had volunteered with his father, Lieutenant Jonathan Trask of Marblehead, and served as messenger and cook's helper. Ten years old. Imagine a ten-year-old volunteering to be in the army and serving however he could. How many ten-year-olds do you know who could prove themselves good workers, actually contributing under those kinds of circumstances. John Becker was 12 years old when he accompanied his father driving sleds of oxen to move a battery of one and two and a half ton cannons from Fort Ticonderoga to Boston through a harsh winter. Try to think of a 12-year-old you know and imagine him doing a job like that. Would that be too big of a job? For any 12-year-olds you know, a boy named John Greenwood was 16 years old, but he looked much younger. He learned how to play the fife. McCullough writes, in May 1775, hearing the news of Lexington and Concord, he had set off on foot with little more than the clothes on his back, his fife protruding from the front pocket. All alone, he walked to Boston, 150 miles through what was still much of the route uninhabited wilderness. Stopping at wayside taverns where troops were gathered, he would bring out the fife and play a tune or two, as he would later recall. They used to ask me where I came from and where I was going to. And when I told them I was going to fight for my country, they were astonished such a little boy and alone could have such courage. Thus, by the help of my fife, I lived, as it were, on what is usually called free quarters, nearly upon the whole route. When he got to the army encampments, he enlisted. But as soon as he saw a road where a convoy was carrying the battle wounded, he was terrified and wished he'd never enlisted. Then he saw a lone soldier coming down the road. A negro man, wounded in the back of his neck, passed me, and his collar being open, I saw the wound plainly and the blood running down his back. I asked him if it hurt him much, and he did not seem to mind it. He said no, and that he was only going to get a plaster put on it and meant to return. You cannot conceive what encouragement this immediately gave me. 
I began to feel brave and like a soldier from that moment, and fear never troubled me afterward during the whole war. Society today doesn't expect much from young people. That's the time to goof off, to play video games, waste your time, no responsibilities. This world has very low standards, very low expectations of young people. But that has not been the case through much of history. And what's interesting is if you study the Bible, you see that God thinks very differently than the world does today. If you look at God's expectations of young people, how he uses young people, the level of responsibility he puts on them, you see just how different from society around us his thinking really is. There are many examples in the Bible of young people given tremendous responsibility. There's no minimum age requirement for traveling or studying or working or making binding agreements, owning property, slaying giants. There's no minimum age for being punished for breaking his law or for marrying or having children or even being a prophet or becoming king. God has always used young people to serve in his glorious cause. Right from the beginning, you had Abel, who was a martyr at a young age. God used a young Isaac as a type of Jesus Christ. Joseph accomplished great things as a youth under very difficult circumstances. He rose to become the second in command in mighty Egypt. Joshua was a wonderful servant of Moses, even from his youth. In the days of the judges, the nation of Israel was in terrible condition. The priesthood was weak, even corrupt. And God decided to raise up a prophet who would begin to turn the nation around. And who did he choose? A 13-year-old. Samuel was a child, maybe a young teen at most. Imagine God beginning to turn the whole nation around using a 13-year-old. 1 Samuel 3 describes how God spoke to Samuel. He gave him prophetic understanding instead of the priest Eli. And it says there that Samuel grew and the Eternal was with him. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Eternal. Young Samuel devoted himself to God and to God's cause. And God went on to establish the monarchy through him, the throne of David. Quite an impressive story. For some generations, even for years after Samuel, the nation was up against a superior enemy. It was experienced and battle-hardened and organized and disciplined and fearsome. The Philistine giant Goliath openly defied and challenged the armies of Israel. And shamefully, every last soldier wanted no part in that fight. But one person stood up, one person who had some faith and who believed. 1 Samuel 17 verse 26 says, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
His older brother criticized him for coming to the scene of the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? If you believe in the cause, that'll give you the courage you need. That'll help you face your fears and confront your enemies. David believed in the cause, and that aroused a fighting spirit in him. He knew if he stepped forward to defend the cause, that God would back him up. It's a marvelous example of devoting ourselves to a glorious, godly cause. And the beautiful thing is, it shows that age doesn't matter. David was a teenager. When he spoke to King Saul, the king said, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. King Saul thought David was too young. David didn't let that hold him back. He didn't use his age as an excuse. Goliath was insulted that the Israelites would send a foolish boy to fight him. It says in verses 42 and 43, When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Well, it turned out he seriously underestimated who he was up against. And you know how the rest of that story unfolds. He paid for underestimating his enemy. We live in a world that seriously underestimates the people of God all the time. It seriously underestimates what just a few people can accomplish who are devoted to a cause. It seriously underestimates what young people are capable of, whose hearts are turned to God. One of the greatest kings of Judah was Josiah. And this is what 2 Kings 22 tells us. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Eternal, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Josiah is one of the few real success stories in a long line of kings in Israel and Judah. When Judah was later about to go into captivity, God had a special job that needed to be done to protect the throne of David and to transplant it. It was a super critical commission. And God gave that job to a 17-year-old named Jeremiah. You can read in Jeremiah 1, verses 4 and 5, Then the word of the Eternal came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. And here's how Jeremiah responded. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. He tried to use his age as an excuse. And God wouldn't have it. But the Eternal said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for you shall go to all that I shall send you, and whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Eternal. 
See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. It's stunning how often God uses extremely young people to do towering jobs. After the Jews went into captivity, they were a subjugated people. And there we have the awesome examples of young Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's another story during that period, very difficult and dangerous conditions where the people of God were at the whim of the king of Persia. And Satan the devil actually wanted to destroy them. But God had to devise a plan to save them. And how did he do it? Who did he use to do it? A young woman named Esther. God orchestrated it so that she was actually chosen to be queen to the empire's king. This might shock you, but guess how old she probably was based on the marriage customs at the time? Probably around age 16. This teenager learned that there was a royal edict to exterminate her people, the Jews. And she fasted. She solicited God's help. She put her life on the line. She ended up getting the king on her side. And she turned events around in a way that saved her people. You can even look at the example of Jesus Christ. He had an impressive mindset even as a child. Luke 2 and verse 40 says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him, even when he was a child. And there's a story that follows about something that happened when he was 12 years old. Every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem to keep the feast of the Passover. And the year that Jesus was 12, they finished their trip, began traveling home, and they didn't realize until they'd been traveling for a full day that Jesus wasn't with them. Imagine traveling to a city and having such trust in your 12-year-old that you let him wander, you're confident he'll be fine, you're even a day into your trip home, you're just assuming he's with you. I have a son who's just turning 12. I can hardly wrap my mind around that. But clearly, Jesus had showed himself very responsible for them to give him that kind of independence, far more responsible than any 12-year-old I know. It turns out Jesus was able to look after himself for several days. He was able to ensure that he received meals and lodging and all of his other needs. He wasn't sitting around crying, saying, My family abandoned me! What was he doing? After three days... His family found him in the temple, verse 46 says, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. How impressive. He was very comfortable talking with adults. He was mature. He could reason. He could communicate. He could listen and ask questions and answer questions. He showed real understanding. As a 12-year-old, are our young people too young to develop good conversational skills? His mother did what 
any mother would do. She said, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking everywhere for you. And this 12-year-old responded, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Even as a youth, he was dedicating himself to serving in his father's cause. He was committed to a glorious cause. God has a glorious cause. He has a lot of work to do, a lot to accomplish, and he needs every last individual who will devote his whole heart to it, old and young. He's looking for people who are willing to work hard, who will devote themselves to study and personal growth and building character and practicing love, people who won't shrink from adversity. And you know, he prefers to choose the people that this world would overlook. He's called an army that many in the world would call the country people, rabble in arms. Scriptures show that he prefers using foolish and weak and base and despised. He uses babes and sucklings. Now to do this job, it takes a lot of work. We must be training daily, aiming to become the soldiers that God needs. And the corporals and the sergeants and lieutenants and captains, majors, colonels, and generals that God needs. We do that not by shooting down enemy soldiers with a musket, but by winning the small daily moment-by-moment battles of character, by growing in reliability and trustworthiness and responsibility, by stepping up and seizing whatever opportunities arise to grow, to grow as a communicator and as a teacher, to build the family. In the hottest part of the Revolutionary War, George Washington wrote an order to his soldiers that said this, The hour is fast approaching on which the honor and success of this army and the safety of our bleeding country depend. Remember, officers and soldiers, that you are free men fighting for the blessings of liberty that slavery will be your portion and that of your posterity if you do not acquit yourselves like men. Remember how your courage and spirit have been despised and traduced by your cruel invaders, though they have found by dear experience at Boston, Charlestown, and other places what a few brave men contending in their own land and in the best of causes can do against base hirelings and mercenaries. It really is astonishing what a few brave people who really believe in their cause can do. In the American Revolution, times got tough. Men were fighting in the midst of winter, amid fierce storms and bitter cold with little food, They often had to march through snow wearing tattered clothing and bare feet. Thomas Paine volunteered to serve as a civilian aide for Nathaniel Green. He had written Common Sense. It was the most widely distributed publication in early America, showing the need for independence. He saw a lot of suffering 
in the army around him. But he was inspired by the undaunted resolution of many of his fellow soldiers, and in what he called a passion of patriotism, he wrote The Crisis. He was 39 years old. And this is how that essay starts. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Being a summer soldier or a sunshine patriot isn't good enough in God's spiritual cause. As soon as things get difficult, you'll stop fighting. You'll walk away. When challenges arise, when fighting gets fierce, when others desert, when people around you fall, when you are being attacked, you have to know you're fighting for a glorious cause. You have to have the determination that Nathan Hale had. He was captured by the British when he was just 21 years old. And just before his execution, he said this, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. He believed in America. He was willing to sacrifice his life for the American cause. The Americans who fought the revolution were fighting for a physical nation. God's people are fighting for a royal spiritual nation, something that will not perish, something no one can take away. That's a cause worth devoting yourself to, giving your life to. Other interests and concerns will pull at you. Satan in this world will try to draw you away. Other voices will call for you. But the voice of God and of your spiritual country is still louder. Never was a cause more important or glorious than that which you are engaged in. Not only your families, but humanity at large, the world of mankind, are interested in it. We cannot allow the darkness and tyranny of this satanic world to spread unchecked. We have the light of God. We carry the flame of freedom. God has entrusted in us the duty of carrying that flame through the darkness and into the dawn of a new day. More human glory and happiness may depend upon your exertions than ever yet depended upon any of the sons of men. He that is a soldier in defense of such a cause needs no title. His post is a post of honor. He shall wear a crown of glory, and blessed will be his memory. <laughs>